0: Hello,
2: everybody. This is Andy Richter. Uh, You've tuned into The Three Questions. I am the host of that show. And this uh, month, we are digging into the archives. uh, And we are looking back on some of my favorite episodes of the show. And this week, uh, we are resharing my conversation with Jeanette McCurdy. Uh, Jeanette was pitched to me back in uh, 2022. And I said yes, uh, because I I had a teenage daughter who used to watch a lot of iCarly, and I was always struck by how funny the actress that played Sam was. So when somebody brought her up to be on on Three Questions, I said, yes, we spoke in August of 2022, which is the same week that her memoir, I'm Glad My Mom Died, was published. The book went on to sell nearly two million copies. Jeanette has an incredible story, and we spoke about her journey from Nickelodeon child stardom to quitting acting altogether. Here's my conversation with Jeanette McCurdy. I know you're going to love it. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Andy Richter. This is The Three Questions, and I am uh, very excited to talk to someone uh, mainly because she's going to shit talk her dead mother. Who does, who doesn't want that? I've never really had that on this show before. And I finally, my dream comes true. Don't listen to this one, mom. My mom's still alive. So, Uh, but also too, I also am, I have been, I have a 16 year old daughter and a 21 year old son. Um, I, Probably have seen every episode of iCarly. No
3: kidding. Honestly, honestly,
2: and it's a really good show. It's not like I. The reason I watch it is because it actually is. I mean, it's a teen sitcom, sure. Sure. Is it creepy for an old man like me to be watching a teen sitcom? Of course. (laughs) Like, I, you know, like the one time I watched Euphoria, I felt so like I was in a van, like in a windowless van.
3: I did too. I watched the pilot and I was like, oh, I feel, is this okay? They're like 16. What's going yeah.
2: on? Yeah. Because my daughter will say, it's a great show. And I'm like, yeah, but no, you don't want me watching Euphoria, honey. Um, <laughs> But well, I don't even think of, it's Jeanette McCurdy uh, who played Sam on iCarly for all those years and on other on every other every other dime that Nickelodeon could could ring out of the character of Sam. Um, and and I was just I I just I want to say right off the bat how from day one, how impressed I was with how good you are, how good oh, your comedic chops are and you. what a good actor you are. and And that whole show was, you know, full of. and and they talk about likability like that's you know but it really matters in television everybody in that show so winning so likable so great but you really you understand comedy in an innate way and you were always just so good and also you got to play I mean a a teenage girl who's scary who's intimidating (laughs) who's mean and kind of a bully like it's like uh, that's got to be a, a a fantasy fulfillment for a lot of young women, you know. So sure. I'm sure there's you know a lot of lum- young women love the character of Sam. So yeah,
3: there are a lot of a lot of young women who who tell me that I helped them in some way developmentally to like accept parts of themselves and themselves, and that was that's always really nice to hear. Uh, They're and I also their
2: bullying side, their cruel bullying <laughs> yeah, side, exactly. From- yeah, exactly.
3: Yeah. Um, I I was so the opposite of that. I was such a like. Kind of hunched, anxious people pleaser that it did feel kind of I felt cool to to live vicariously through through the character. Um, I enjoyed like that aspect of it for sure.
2: Yeah. Why do you think uh, it being I mean, is, you just felt like do you think that there was something in you like the it was like a, a secret desire to be that way that made you so good at that character? Or I mean.
3: Sure. Yeah. I think there I think I think I I wish that I could get away with with behaving the way that Sam behaved. There yeah. I was I I did not feel that was uh, an accept. I was also Mormon, so I was just like everything the opposite of right, of right. that character. So it definitely seemed like, I think it was, there was some wish fulfillment aspect
2: definitely. Right, right. I always find uh showbiz Mormons to be weird because it's like <laughs> You know, it, it's like it's like showbiz Orthodox Jews. It's like, I don't think you're supposed to be doing this if you're really sticking to the script. That's you know. exactly
3: what Kathy Huffme- Sister Huffmeyer, said to my mom. She was like, I don't think Jeanette should be playing a child prostitute in Judging Amy. This is against the, the <laughs> church's rules. And my mom would be like, oh, she'll convert people, though. She'll get sure, people converted. Absolutely. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hundreds are beating down the doors of Mormon churches, of LDS churches everywhere. Well, you bring it up. You're Mormon, uh, but you're from Southern California. You were born there. Uh
3: yeah, I'm I am no longer Mormon, um, to be clear, but I, I haven't filed the paperwork. I hear it's quite a rigorous process to like Oh really? Get, you gotta file paperwork? Out. You gotta file paperwork, you gotta talk to the, the bishop of your home ward and yeah. some other folks. Um so I haven't done any of any of those, but I, I definitely don't consider myself Mormon anymore. But, but I, what
2: what hold do they have on you? Like if you start going to a, a Presbyterian church, they'll <laughs> They'll, they'll, sue? <laughs> they'll sue or something.
3: Um, they they, I, they send a lot of materials. They still, they somehow kind of like find every address you go to and like keep sending materials. And then um, there's something called Baptisms for the Dead that they do, which was.
2: Oh, I've heard about that. Have yeah. you heard about
3: Okay. You yeah. To so you temple, can like,
2: you can you can uh tra- or what do you call it convert someone in the afterlife
3: yes who didn't yeah. ask no yeah yeah, yeah these people weren't like wanting for mormonism and then died and then they, they finally get it it's just like your second cousin twice removed who died five years ago or you know random historical figures that they're like baptizing <laughs> as mormon
2: yeah you're walking around heaven and all of a sudden you got to wear weird underwear <laughs> so it doesn't seem fair <laughs> i didn't ask for this um, oh my god,
3: my mom would always with the garments. She would all, she didn't like wearing clothes that were as modest as they needed to be in order because they, they your your clothing needs to surpass your garments. Yeah. Um they're like kind of an a, a, an indicator of where your clothes need to be. So she would just like roll up the garments so that she could get away with sh- showing a little more skin.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Listen, there there is uh, uh, such a religious uh history of, of cutting corners. Like every religion has cutting corners, you know, like whether it's, oh, I don't know. I forget what they call it, but in Catholic, you know, like, and they're, they're allowed it now. Again, I can't remember what it's called. I'll remember it after we're done talking where you actually can pay money to get out of sins. Like you can just give money for sins and they, they outlawed it like in the 1600s and they just recently quietly reinstated it. I <laughs> so mean, like, I read, an, I scan. read an article somewhere like, yeah, we're, we'll take money to let to let you off your sins again, if you want. Good God. Or, or just the whole Catholic thing of confession was always like in really Catholic area. And like people who are super Catholic, it's like you can just be an absolute drunken sex fiend on saturday but on sunday it's like i'm washed clean thanks a lot you know such a good deal um whereas me the agnostic i gotta carry all this shit around me until the day i die Uh, (laughs) all this guilt all this sin um well anyway um so how you I, i mean we're here to talk about your book uh first of all and about your life uh and the book is called i'm glad my mom died so you, it's like one of those ones. You don't need to really ask about what it's about. Um, it, I'm guessing it's a memoir. You got it. Uh, I'm guessing there was some pretty shitty stuff. Yeah. Um. And I. And I'm also guessing just from your personality and from what I know about you that you're trying to learn to li- uh to laugh at it.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a it's 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 something that I've pleaded our brothers and it's something that all of us I think turn to as a coping mechanism and and a means of of getting through and finding some entertainment through it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like even even the day of her funeral, I remember my brother making a joke about cuz the pallbearers were like bumping the casket into the sides of the <laughs> the doorway. Uh, and my brother just making a joke about her rolling out of the casket and coming down to yell at all of us. And it was just what the moment needed. Like, yeah, you yeah. know, it, it's it was so much better than 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 just the weight without any of the levity.
2: Yeah, yeah. Speaking of uh, siblings, how did they feel about about the book and about?
3: They're yeah. very supportive. I just oh, I, I just got yeah, I just got dinner with one of my brothers the other day um, and they have always been super supportive and very um, very understanding and they relate to it more than anybody so they 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 get it for sure. they get all
2: of it did it did it take a long time to get to a point where you could be uh, I mean because it's a whole ball of wax that you're that you're admitting and that you're and that you're making public. but to be able to say, you know, uh, you know, I'm glad my mom died. I mean, you know, like that's, that's a pretty heavy statement in most people's vernacular. You know, I'm with the blackened heart that I have from years of, of being a smart ass. It's like, no, no, I get it. Um, But I, uh I, I just wonder, uh, t- did it take a long time to get to that for you?
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. It took, it took years. I, um. I started therapy after my mom. I was she, I was 21 when she died. I just turned 30 now. Um, I can't say just anymore. It's been over a month. The cutoff's at a month, right? It's been more than a month. I'm 30.
2: You can say whatever you want. You can say whatever you want. You can Great. say you, you just turned 29. So it's a, so it's 13 months.
3: Love that. Just turned 29. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, my my mom died when I was 21, and I, that's when I, I started therapy sort of shortly after she died. And it certainly wasn't like something that I immediately felt. I felt relief when she died. And devastation, but I could go nowhere near accepting that relief because I felt so much guilt about the relief. Uh, and it was very, very much a long process to get to the place where I could say that I that I am glad that she died. And uh, and then, of course, anytime I would – I'm not going around to parties <laughs> just spouting that I'm glad my mom died. But anytime I would express <laughs> kind of how I felt about my relationship with her, I was so often met with, well, you only have one mom or well, – yeah. Yeah, but don't you wish she was here? And my thought was always like, n- no, I don't. I I wouldn't have grown as a person. I wouldn't have any semblance of my own identity if she were still here. Um, and so I think this book was sort of a way of me articulating those thoughts in in that I that I had, but never never said out loud.
2: Yeah, I I mean, I always th- it's you know it's kind of like the parental version of America, love it or leave it. It's like, well, it doesn't. It's not it doesn't work that way. You know, like you got to be honest and you got to you got to call abuse, abuse. And yeah, it I just like I think there's just sort of a drive to people. They don't they just want I mean, and it's it's so tiresome when you're trying to make comedy of like, can't you just be nice? Can't you just say nice things? Which there's just that which is just sort of ostrich head in the sand kind of thing. But I think also there's. There's people that just they think that if they pull like if they just start to pick at their idea of a loved one whether it's your parents or your a brother or a sister that somehow this whole house of cards will fall and then that it'll that'll all be meaningless and all be ruined and and you'll have to confront the fact that this person that you loved was bad. Um which is like, well, that's what mental health is it's yes it's being honest about things and being honest with yourself about things.
3: Oh my god, I love that. Yes, that's I I couldn't uh couldn't agree with that more. I yeah. think mental health is all has hugely been about honesty for me and not not getting eaten up by secrets or not pretending like things are something that they're not um just ending, p- trying to put as much of an end to just the bail and the falsity as, as possible and yeah. continuing to try and do that um, for years.
2: <laughs> I also think, too, that you're doing yourself and the people in your future a big favor because when you protect, when you're like, my mom was a saint or my dad was, uh, you know, was the best. He was perfect. And you overlook bad behavior, abusive behavior, destructive personality traits, you're giving yourself the okay to do those later. Yes. You know, like you're, you give yourself that, like I can be an asshole too because my mother was a saint and this is shit she did and she's a fucking saint. So this must be, it must be fine for me to lock him in the basement, you know, or whatever. Oh my God. Oh
3: my God. My whole body just like feels that so (laughs) deeply, like sat up straighter. Oh my Lord.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So good on you for this book. I mean, I haven't read it yet, but I will. I actually do. I will. Cause it oh, sounds thanks. like, well, let's start, let's start at the beginning. Cause it was kind of your mom. I mean, at least with your work stuff, it was your mom's idea to get you into show business.
3: Yeah. So she had always dreamt of being an actress. She wanted deeply to be an actress she would... Um, is she
2: from Southern California? So she was sort of she seeking is, it. yeah, she yeah. is.
3: And she would she would go to like any live taping of a show that she could sneak in and get tickets to. She um, would camp outside of Chris Knight's house. He played Peter Brady in the Brady. Bunch, oh my god, in the Brady bunch. <laughs> she swore they had a relationship, but like I uh, I doubt that given wow. given the nature of her sort of loftiness. Yeah, but um, yeah, she she really dreamt of being an actress, and her parents didn't let her act, so she she wanted wanted me to and and always lived vicariously through me and she even she even pushed one of my brothers into it but there was more of a kind of demand on me because I think just the the female connection
2: right right you're a little her yes and but you're yeah but you're like (laughs) she's in charge of you probably more in charge of you than she was of herself I bet you know yes yes oh my
3: god Uh, a million percent I I think it was because she couldn't get control of herself and, and navigate her own experiences. She thought, well, this one's easier to control than I am than I, like she couldn't control herself. I was easier to control. And then I also think she sensed that I was probably more pliable and and influenceable than my, than my brothers were. Yeah. I think she just knew she could sense all of that.
2: Where was your dad in this process? Was he just kind (laughs) of, he just,
3: sleeping yeah he just kind of a certain,
2: yeah just letting it go because why <laughs> you know the pot kind of stuff
3: yeah he had a really he had a really just kind of uh beaten down disposition mm-hmm. and um really didn't didn't seem super present or engaged ever and he also he was working two jobs so he was tired he was yeah. he was tired from working he worked at home depot and hollywood video and then he would just come home at night and go in the back room and shut the door. And I think he just didn't want anything to do with with any of it. Yeah. Um, also, he wasn't our dad, which is in the book. But um, oh, I wow. found out after my mom died that he wasn't our, our dad. So that also kind of put another piece of the puzzle together.
2: Did your brothers know that he wasn't
3: there? None dad? of us knew. None of us knew. We How had did, no idea. Wow.
2: How'd she work that? That's a, well, right. OK, I got to read the book, I guess.
3: <laughs> uh. <laughs> it comes late it comes okay. late yeah,
2: yeah yeah wow that's amazing yeah well, it was it was wild well are you are you on board with this stuff like as she starts to do it and uh you know when she starts i mean i mean the that putting you into acting it's no no
3: no not at all i uh i was always re- i was really shy as a kid and um I, even to the point where my grandpa liked taking photos and I like didn't like i there's something about cameras that seemed really kind of domineering i didn't like didn't like them and I just felt quiet um and more introverted I guess was kind of how I naturally just was and then you know being forced into this world where everything she's telling me use big hand gestures, and I still kind of have that <laughs> clearly I still have my mom's influence I can't yeah. stop with the hand gestures yeah, this whole yeah. time. <laughs> But she she really um, kind of conditioned me and groomed me to be like a little kind of tap dancing child performer and walking in like, hi, Susie, how's it going? I'm Jeanette, like to the casting director or whatever. Um, I I was was molded into a, a really that kind of quintessential inauthentic child performer. Uh, but I also think I was good at acting and, and I did enjoy being I did enjoy feeling good at acting. It didn't come easy for me. But eventually, once I kind of got the hang of it, which was basically to do the opposite of what my mom wanted me to do, she'd always give me directions. And then I'd go in and the casting director would tell me to do the exact opposite of what she'd said. Mm. So then I would tell her that I did what she wanted, but I was actually doing what the casting director wanted. And then it would present more of a problem when if I would book the part and then I'd be on set and she'd be telling me to do it one way and the director's telling me to do it a different way. And that that was that was very uh, complicated, but I did enjoy feeling like uh, feeling like I was good at it.
0: apple card issued by goldman sachs bank usa salt lake city branch subject to credit approval terms apply
4: love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places well working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like t-mobile we have america's largest 5g network so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at the coffee shop we have the 5g speed you need whatever takes you on the go t-mobile's got you covered Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com.
1: The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes!
0: Can't you tell my loves are growing? You seem, re- you,
2: know, you seem relatively healthy. I'm sure that there's you have your days, you know? Sure. Um, but it is just, I, whenever I talk to anybody who's, and I've talked, to, I've talked to a number of performers that have been in this business for a long time. Mm-hmm. And some of them, I'm like really amazed at how well put together they are or how good they are at hiding it because it just, it does just seem like such a minefield to send a little kid into, you know? And- I would after when my wife and I split up, they moved into uh, into an apartment building here in Burbank that had a lot of people from out of town who were here because their kids were actors. Like if they were, you you know, like on young Sheldon or, you know, trying just, or just here from wherever, from Texas or Kentucky, like just giving it a go. And it was so hard for me, like in the dog walking part to not go, the dog walking park to not just tell people like, oh, you're you're gonna fuck your kid up. Like this is really, I would never do this. I'd never let my kid do this.
3: Yeah, it's, you know? if he, if people ask me a lot. Uh, parents will say, hey, I want to put my kid in acting, and like, what do you have any agents' numbers? And it's it's hard to not say, oh, I I definitely would not suggest putting your yeah. kid in act. I think even if the kid absolutely wants to do it, there's no, I, I don't think there's any way to kind of get to adulthood unscathed. Um, even if you have the best support system around you, even if you fall into amazing productions with really great, you know, crew members and, and even with the best possible experience, I think just the kind of psychological twist of of being a child performer is so bizarre and so obscure, uh, that I, I don't think, yeah, there's, I, I don't think it's really possible to be unscathed, but I do think there are people who have navigated, um, the, the experience so well. And I find it so inspiring people like Scarlett Johansson. It's like. I I'm, I'm amazed. Natalie Portman. It's incredible.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is, uh, you know, it's, I think it take. it does take, it takes, it's a, it's extra parental duty. It's like, you got to really, you got to really do it right as a parent. And I also don't want to just like, uh, I mean, I wouldn't do it with my kids, but I can also understand, I can totally understand a family that needs money. And they got they got a little kid that wants to do this thing. And they got people that are willing to, you know, give money to this kid. And, you know, and now with the Coogan accounts, although I I understand yours got fucked up. um, the Coogan account for people who don't know. uh, Jackie Coogan was a child star in the R Gang series, I believe, and um, made a ton of money and his parents stole it all. So they passed legislation that when you your kid. Is an actor in show business, it goes into an account that the parents can't touch. And uh,
3: yeah, I believe twenty percent goes into an account. I might be wrong with the percent. Maybe they changed. I, I, the yeah,
2: I, I don't. I don't know exactly either. I do know my daughter when she was about four, she had one line on the Sarah Silverman program, which was just a favor to Sarah. And so we still every year, unlike the end of the year, there's a Coogan account that, yeah. that comes up with you know like twelve dollars in it or something.
3: Do you have two um, two kids?
2: I do. I have a, a 16-year-old daughter and a 21-year-old son.
3: Did either of them want to act at any point, or did they – get interested in it?
2: My daughter expressed interest um, when she was mm, – I'm guessing 10 to 12, something like that. Mm. And there were kids in her school, because it's L.A., and she went to a nice L.A. private school. There were kids in her school who were starting to work and starting to get jobs. And she started – and she's also – she's very – Especially back then, she was still very outgoing. The, her teen years, kind of, you know, when your teen years settle in and you don't want anyone to look at you oh, for yeah. the next six years, that sort of changed it. But she used to be just a re, she was like a USO show walking around all the time, and um she thought, you know, and, and she also was in like little school plays and stuff. She's really good. She's very, you know, I can say that as objectively as I can. But she asked me about it, and I just I. I talked about it before on here, and I told her I don't – she told me about it, and I just kind of brush it off. And then finally one time she really kind of pinned me down, and I said, Honey, if you want to act, we can find community theater stuff for you to act in. You can be in plays around here and stuff. I said, But I don't want to put you in this business because you will be surrounded by people who want to make money off you. And they will treat you like they love you and that you're their friend, but they want to make money off you. And all of those people, while they're acting that they love you, they will be judging your voice. They will be judging your face. They will be judging your body. They will be judging the way you move. They will be judging the way, you know, everything about you. They will be judging, judging, judging. And, um, and I said, and I don't think that a young person should be put through all of that kind of judgment and all of that sort of like having a price put on them. So I said, no. And I said, and if you get, if you want to work, when you get to be 16, you can work at the, you know, you can sell tacos or you can work at the grocery store or somewhere. You know, I mean, if you want to work, do that kind of work. And also, if you're serious about being an actor, if you work at the taco store, you're going to have a lot of better experience. You know, the kids that are working on these TV shows, all they know is TV and movies. They're not going to have any life experience to draw from. Yes.
3: Yeah. yeah. Um, I wish that more parents said that to their kids. That's amazing
2: how did she take it was she she's okay with it she's yeah fine? yeah and i mean and now now she doesn't even really want to act in school place she wants to do tech in the school place because oh. it's just she likes to be around it but she does you know the no she just does she's like Ugh, i don't need everybody you know both my yeah. kids are kind of uh, they're not you know they're not like they're, they're both capable of carrying a conversation but both of them have always been kind of, like my son when he was little and it became time to start playing sports and i we went to a friend of his a soccer game i said hey do you and he likes soccer i said do you yeah. want to play soccer he goes like i don't want to do anything where other parents are here yelling <laughs> and I was like, all right i guess you're not going to be playing sports <laughs> then you know i guess it's you know art and music for you um and and so yeah i just i and i also you know i I started in Chicago in film production on working on television commercials, and I just saw like – a. I had like three or four very formative experiences with child actors and their mothers, and it cool. was always mothers, that made me go like, this is fucked up. This is like really – this is not healthy, and there's so much – so much projection uh, going on, yes. you know, like so much. Like this is not about the kid. This is about the mom. As yes. like with yours, so absolutely, you know, their unfulfilled
3: yeah. dreams uh, and desires. Is your does your son still? Is he still in the arts, or is he? Is he? Yeah, he he's an art that? student.
2: He's an oh. art student at USC. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't know what he wants to do with himself, but
3: sure. I, do, I don't.
2: Twenty I. <laughs> <laughs> um.
3: I didn't. I feel like nobody tells you that. I didn't realize that at twenty one that. I, I just assume like 18, I still got, Oh, I'm kind of, kind of a kid, but like an adult in some ways, but by 21, I felt for sure. Okay. I need to have everything figured out and I got to have all my ducks in a row and I got to know how everything worked. Like I didn't realize the twenties were just going to be a shit show and just tr- throwing stuff at a wall and hoping
2: it's no, absolutely. And I, I mean, and it kind of goes on. I mean, I'm, I say it as a joke, but it is kind of true. <laughs> you know, I have this joke where I'll say like, you know, one of these days I'm really going to start firing on all cylinders. I'm going to really, I'm going to get my shit together. I'm going to, I'm going to really get this life on track. And I know like I'm 50 fucking five. I, you know, I had a, I haven't had a, a long career and I have a family and raised kids, but still in me, there's this person that's like, Oh shit. There's that other thing I'm supposed to be doing that I'm not doing. And, Oh, I should be writing and no, I should be, you know, exercising more and oh, I should just be more productive. And I, you know, just, and it. I don't know, I I'm hoping as I get older, I have a hunch that all of the improvements that you want to make in your life, y- you'll be lucky to make 15 to 20%. of them. Mm. You know mm. what I mean? Like, yeah. and that and that will be success. That will be like, like if you can take the person that you are now and by the end of your life, you're. You have a, this laundry list of things that you want to do and that you think you should be. If yeah. you can get to like a, almost a, like up to a, like a quarter of that, you did fantastic. <laughs> Based on the people, the old people that I know and what the way that they've disappointed themselves, you know? Well, let's see. So uh, what do you, when does it start to hit that you're making a living? I mean, you know, and, and do you, do you have to quit school? Uh,
3: Yeah, I was homeschooled. My mom homeschooled myself and then two of my three older brothers. And uh, I started making money by I started making money a little bit early on, and then started really uh, bringing home, you know, a a significant amount of kind of the family sum by the time I was uh, eleven. And yeah. then by 14, I was, I was cast in, in the show. I Carly were, I was a series regular. So then it was much more kind of you were 11. You say uh, I was 14 when I got 14, cast 14, oh, okay. 14. Um, yeah. and, but 11, when I started making kind of more, uh, more, more of my family's kind of pot of money. Um, yeah. and then, yeah, at 14, I got cast in the show and that was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was more of a, of a, of a of a financial some sort of financial stability but of course it's it's nickelodeon so not it's not a network <laughs> it's not a network paycheck yeah, yeah. there's no residuals
2: <laughs> and do you get a point i mean do you get is it a, is, is there any leverage when a show like that becomes a hit and you and it comes time to renegotiate or is it always just kind of treated like you know we'll give you a, a, a percentage bump up and that's it
3: yeah. So there was definitely a little bit of leverage beyond whatever the percentage bump was in the contract, but it, but it, it was Nickelodeon <laughs> and, uh, they always used that too. Like their own lawyers would be like, well, it's Nickelodeon. So it's like
4: I know.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, yeah.
3: guys are making so much money off I of know. this. I know.
0: Um,
3: but, but it was, it was definitely, definitely more financial stability than, than I, 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 or my family, I think had known up to that point.
2: Yeah. Um, playing that character, I mean, do you do you really start to feel like you're hitting a stride and that you're and that you're getting good at it?
3: Yeah, I felt I felt good I felt good at it and I felt at the same time I felt really overwhelmed by like the show started really getting popular, like super popular probably midway through our first season toward the end of our second season. And it got to the point where it was like going outside, paparazzi would be waiting outside the house level. Like it was really, really uh, overwhelming. And I mentioned earlier being like a a people pleaser and being really socially anxious. So I didn't know what to do with fame. I didn't know how to navigate it. I didn't know there's no rule book. There was no, you know, person to talk to. There's no, there was no guidance around that. And of course my mom's devouring it and just like, you know, telling me different poses to take for the pictures and like, get another one, get another three for just so you have them to all the, the, to the parents who would want to take pictures and things. So she was like really, really loving it. And I, I think now that was when I started to resent her because watching her experience of enjoying it so much while knowing how much I was struggling with it and just dying for somebody to talk to about just even to like vent a little bit about, Hey, this is a lot of pressure. This is really difficult. But I didn't have that. So I think that's when my resentment toward her started. Um, and I just kept kind of suppressing it and shoving it down and, and trying to just kind of be, be, be polite and mommy's little girl. And then she got sick. She was sick initially when I was two, but she got sick the second time when I was 18, which felt to me like the time that I was just about to be able to confront her mm-hmm. and be able to, um, kind of call her out on some of the bullshit. And then she got sick. So then, of course, I can't go anywhere near it. I, now I'm guilty right. that my mom's got a terminal illness. There's, I'm, there's no way I'm going to say, hey, by the way, you know, you've lived vicariously through me for 15 years and I'm and I'm tired of it. Um, so the, the cancer really, I, I think, complicated, complicated our relation, relationship and came at a really, really ironic time yeah. in, in my life.
2: Was she uh, also I'm, I'm guessing I'd be willing to bet money. That she was really good at martyrdom. Oh, and that my if God. You, if you attacked her, it would, she'd go right to tears or right to I've done this for you kind of shit. So when you throw cancer into that, that's like a fucking superpower to a oh, martyr.
3: She had the badge of honor. She loved telling everybody. I mean, it didn't matter whether she knew you, whether you were a churchgoer or whether she was at Albertsons checking out the groceries. Wow. She would be telling everyone stage four metastatic breast cancer survivor. Uh, mastectomy, bone marrow transplant, chemotherapy, radiation. Like I, I knew that list of, of what she'd been through. Yeah. I had it memorized from such an early age just because of how often she would spew it to everybody. Um, and oftentimes like to get free things, you know, she'd try to get oh. discounts. She'd try to get extensions on bills. Um, I guess she was kind of clever in that wow. way, but it was, it was, it was constant. It was yeah, constant. Yeah.
2: <laughs> You you say this was when you started resenting her. Do you think that when your success started and your talent started to show and be appreciated, that she resented you? She she it. Oh my
3: god! I'm so glad you bring this up because it was so such a mind fuck. I had been doing what I thought was my mom's dream for years. At that point, it had been over almost a decade. Um, And then all of a sudden, at
2: sixteen or whatever, that's crazy. That like for ten for. You know, whatever that is, almost three quarters of your life has yes. been doing this yes. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: And so, and then she started getting really jealous of me, and and would say things like, "I have fans too." Or her favorite was when Vine started becoming a thing. She was like, "I'm going to make a Vine account, and I'm going to make comedy videos, and you better watch the fans that I collect, baby." She'd always slap a baby. On me. <laughs> oh. She'd get so theatrical. Um, now I think it's very funny. She she really was quite. She didn't know she was being funny, but she really had quite a distinct kind of cadence and, and yeah, yeah, way yeah. of phrasing things. But um, but so she became jealous, and I was so confused because I thought, well, this is what you wanted for so long, and now I have it, and you somehow seem mad that I have it, um, while also, of course, she wanted me to have just more and more of it, and so it, it felt like I felt like I couldn't do anything right. I felt like well. Right i i don't i was completely at a loss and just didn't didn't really know what to do um and and uh, it was confusing
2: yeah and your dad threw this whole thing again it's just sort of a ghost in the background
3: <laughs> couldn't have said it better myself
2: <laughs> um ah this that's so i mean i know we're laughing but Jesus christ that's awful um <laughs> did she now you know you're you're already in this weird sort of crucible, like this pressurized environment that's also kind of, in in some ways, it's like, it's like easier, you know, like you're kind of, you've got this little bubble and you're around these funny, uh, you know, funny, talented kids and you're getting to do this fun stuff and kicking around ideas. And and I, you know, on a, I, well, I mean, I imagine that was a pretty fun set, although... There is like the Dan Schneider stuff.
3: There was definitely no kicking around. You said kicking around ideas. There was no room oh, there was for anybody's like ideas yeah, yeah. on that set. It was okay. very much one person's ideas and one person's ideas only and uh, yelling if you didn't do that one person's ideas.
2: OK, but I will well, say, I, yeah. Forget the fun set. Atmosphere. <laughs> I Never mind that about, piece.
3: No, but um, I, I did have great friends in Miranda, who played Carly and Nathan, who played Freddie on the show. Yeah. Um, and and um, uh, Noah and Jerry as well. You mentioned earlier, everybody sort of being likable and they were just as likable. If not more so in in real life, yeah. So that that was very very nice. And then Miranda and I remained close throughout um, all the way up, kind of until my my early twenties. We were really really close, and having that friendship to be able to um, not only have during the show, but to be able to have after the show, and working through the kind of ebbs and flows of and piecing together what was that experience and how wild it was. That was um, really, I think, one of the best gifts of the entire um, the entire. Experience,
2: yeah. Could you share with her kind of what you were going through with your mom? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah we we shared a lot of stories and have a lot of a lot of crossover in a lot of ways and a lot of uh, we, ha- we have we have a lot of connection points. I'll say yeah. we have a lot a, a lot there That's to explore good. together. That's
2: good. Well, then that that tells me not to ask the next question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, how I mean you know this is you're 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 working you're you're a teenager I mean can you have any kind of like regular teen life at all like whether it's dating or whether it's just like learning how to have friends outside you know no
3: hanging out it was so bizarre because I um because they've been homeschooled. I think that was sort of one bubble. And then there was also the Mormon thing, which is another kind of weird bubble. And then there was fame, which is another bubble. So it's like bubbles on bubbles on bubbles. I didn't really know how to kind of just be be social or or, or make friends other than, you know, my I had my friends on set. But um, even with dating, I think back on it now and truly it's only been over the past few years where I realized that like guys were flirting with me or like asking me out i thought i i had such low self-esteem at this time when i it's bizarre to me because of having so much praise and on the one hand and being in the public eye but i had such cripplingly low self-esteem that i had no idea it would just fly over my head if somebody liked me and it wasn't me being coy and like i don't think they like me but like actually no like i did not know i had no idea um and only recently i've been thinking of those people and thought well that could have been a nice kind of experience. Yeah. It could have been fun to maybe, you know, date somebody that maybe there could have been some sort of a little kind of healthy relationship there and have some sort of normal, normalcy with the dating. But instead, I wound up uh, dating a 32 year old when I was 18. And that was my first <laughs> experience of oh dating.
2: Shame on you, 32 year old. Men are the worst. I'm sorry. I know. I just, men are the guys. Come on.
3: I thought, just, I thought I am so mature. I don't know why his friends don't, why his friends say that he shouldn't be seeing me. <sighs> I'm thinking, I, I was thinking I was so mature and I, there was the most emotionally stunted 18 year old that, know, that probably know. most people had met.
2: And I, I mean, I don't know. I hope there's part of me that hopes he didn't know it. Like he's just super dense and, and shallow. But then there's sure. part of me that probably thinks like, no, no, he knew. And that makes it even kind of evil.
3: Sure. Uh, it, it, knowing this person, it could, could go either way. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Oh boy, I hope he's listening. You fucked up, guy. Uh,
3: <laughs> but also, well, you know, I will say I do. I do think there was a really positive aspect of that relationship, in that it it, it sort of was a one of the the in, inciting factors for me realizing that I maybe should step away from my mom. I I was realizing, oh, maybe my mom isn't. All good. Maybe I should not have her on this pedestal. Maybe I should try to figure out my own identity. And he was he was instrumental in me.
2: Oh, he sort of would say like, hey, that's yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. He'd say your mom shouldn't write you an email calling you a, a slut and a floozy and a whore um, just because she's having a some sort of a mental, you know, some an sort episode. of a mood swing or. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card.
2: Can't you tell my loves growing um so it's i i mean did you ever have any kind of uh in, any sort of like confrontation with her were you ever able to kind of i mean towards the end because when i met when she started when she the last time she got sick did she just continually get sick or was there sort of remission and and recurrence or
3: No, she got sicker and sicker. And then there were, there were multiple, uh, sort of, this is the end point scares. One of them, I remember she had a seizure. This image to me kind of feels like the tone of my life, uh, and why I think humor is important. She was having a seizure frothing at the mouth An ambulance comes to pick her up. I'm holding her hand in this ambulance And we zoom past the the Nickelodeon on sunset (laughs) building with the billboard for iCarly that's like bright purple, bright yellow. I'm sitting there with my arm on my hip, like cheesy smile, airbrushed beyond recognition. And we're zipping past an ambulance. And I thought, like, this is, this is life. It's, it's billboard. It's, you know, sitcoms and cancer. It's like billboards and ambulances. It's never, it's never just one of those things. Um, and it was, it was a, a really, informative moment, I think for, 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 for me, but, um, I lost the question.
2: Oh, just, just, did you ever really, did you ever really get a chance to get stuff off your chest with her?
3: No. And I think that's such an important question. No. And it's, and it's, and it was really, Hard because I would have loved to have confronted her about anything, um, any any aspect of any of it, but I I just didn't. I felt too guilty about the cancer, and then after she died was when I found out about my my dad not the, who, who I thought was my dad not actually being my dad, and then that kind of compounded the complicated feelings toward her because. I was just left wondering why didn't she, she knew that she was dying for years and she didn't tell me or any of my brothers the truth of our childhoods and what, what had happened. Um, And I don't know how she took that secret to the grave. I really, I, I, it's beyond me. And I tried for a long time to justify her reasoning and to make sense of it and to find, give her the benefit of the doubt. But ultimately I felt like trying to justify it, was a moot point because I don't respect it. Whatever her reasoning was, it could have been anything. And I don't respect that. She didn't tell any of us. Yeah. And I think it was uh, pretty kind of a, a cowardly move and, um, and certainly not, not the way that I want to live my life. I think it, I think it, it really, I think it was a really kind of shitty thing. And, pretending it's anything else would be a disservice to myself and, and my brothers who also experienced the same right. thing.
2: And also just general human decency.
3: Thank you. you yes.
2: Know, you know, yes. there's just, there's like, when you say like that she had her reasons, what possible. What, yes. Like I just, I, you know, it was, it was Prince Charles and it would ruin the monarchy. Like what, what could it possibly be that would take away from just letting your kids know the truth about where they do. You, do you, have you met your, your biological dad and do you know him? And I
3: have, um, I have met him. And my, one of my two brothers, who's also, that he's also the father of um, has, has met him. I, I, I saw him quite a bit a couple, this was a couple years ago and would do kind of like Sunday brunches and I've met my um, half siblings and they were, they were really great. I I like my, uh, my half sister a lot, but, um, but it felt, it felt awkward just because I hadn't known this person. I approached him. So uh, he, you know, he said that he really had wanted to be a part of all of our lives, but that there was, I guess, a big custody battle and um and it just it's it seemed like there was this whole the more i talked with him the more information would come out and it just it felt a bit overwhelming and and you know my brothers don't have a have really one of my brothers has met him as i mentioned but they don't have a relationship with him so uh it just felt like a it just it just felt like a lot
2: did it also did it feel like you weren't you couldn't be sure what the exact story was. And so it just, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. I feel like, like I don't really know where to, where to get it or how to get it. And trying to get it was, was just kind of not, not was getting to a point where it wasn't healthy for yeah, me.
2: Yeah. And ultimately it's, you know, exactly. You are who you are. And, you know, exactly. It doesn't, it's not that it doesn't matter, but you certainly, it's one of those things that, you know, you can, you can do without, you can, you know, totally, a lot totally. Of stuff you can just jettison.
3: And then, um, and then, yeah, feeling feeling like okay, I, I, it is the past. It, let's keep it in the past. And the more that I dwell on it, it's going to just continue dragging into my future. I don't want that anymore. Um, that I think that was an important thing to do.
2: Yeah, in the in sort of the the time after your mom passed, uh, did we able to hold it together, or did like even just because I know sometimes even unhealthy systems are systems that that contain you, and when that unhealthy system goes away, you can kind of come a little bit undone, and I'm wondering if there was an a- aspect of that happening to you, or was it just a sigh of relief and, you know… Oh.
3: I wish it was, I wish it was that simple. I wish it was a sigh of relief. Um, no, it was definitely for me, my coping mechanism, my destructive coping mechanism of choice was eating disorders. Um, my mom had actually had struggled with anorexia for a long time herself. Mm. And so she was the person who initially taught me calorie restriction when I was 11 and she would monitor my weight. We had weekly weighings. She would measure my thighs to make sure my thighs didn't get bigger from, from week to week. Um, so I, I really learned those unhealthy habits from from her and how to restrict from her and then even to the point where on on her deathbed i told her my like i feel like this thing happens where everybody um, tries to get the person who's gonna die to wake up from their coma Mm. like they're saying a piece of good news in the hopes that the person will wake up like but it doesn't obviously doesn't work that way good news isn't gonna wake someone out of a coma but i think it's just a, a a a thing Certainly a thing that me and my family did. So my brothers each like gave her good news. And one of my brothers is like, I'm moving home. And of course, she's still in a coma. The other brother's like, I'm getting married. She's still in a coma. And I'm like, I'm 86 pounds thinking that that would be the thing that would get her out. Like That was truly where I was at in thinking my weight is mom's uh, happiness. My, yeah. my smallness is mom's happiness. So then she dies and I'm not able to keep up anorexia without her. And then I fall into... Bulimia, pretty brutally for a couple of years, um, and and also really struggled with alcohol issues, and um, then eventually, several years in, started getting a lot of therapy and help and support to get over those uh, those issues.
2: Did somebody help you with that? I mean, at what point did you decide, okay, this is I got to stop this?
3: Um, uh, an, an ex of mine actually had said, "Hey, you you need to." stop at the bulimia or I'm, or I'm walking away. Like this is, I can't watch you do this to yourself. If you're going to do this to yourself do it on your own time, but I can't, I can't watch you, um, do that. And then my, my sister-in-law also, um, my sister-in-law, I, I, we were eating at a restaurant. I went to the bathroom, stepped out of the stall and she was standing there and said, you need help. And I'm going to help you look up some names and you're going to call somebody tonight. And so that was, that was definitely something that I think it was really cool of her to to be that confrontational and just that bold. And, and, um,
2: Did you just say yes or did you push back?
3: Uh, I reluctantly said yes. I reluctantly said yes. Um, and thinking like, okay, when she, when, when she's gone home with my brother, I can just like duck out of here. But then, um, but then I didn't feel that way. And I, and I knew she was right. And I think I, I, some part of me, some part of me knew that what I was doing was wrong and, and wanted help. Um, but I had to unfortunately go through so many experiences of self-destruction before feeling like, okay, I need, I need something. I can't, I can't keep doing this um, to myself. And I saw an amazing uh, eating disorder specialist who helped me with, uh, used a, a multitude of uh, of therapy kind of modalities to to help. And it was very, very custom and didn't feel at all like he was just he seems passionate about what he did, you know. Like yeah, he really yeah. seemed like he was he was in it and really present and engaged. And I think that's hugely uh, responsible for my recovery.
2: Yeah, that's that's a good therapist. The, yeah, the ones that just where you feel like you're there three o'clock. <laughs> those are the ones, you know. You know, um, you can
3: feel them glazing over. Yeah,
2: yeah. Like, okay. Oh, yeah. You here we go. What? Let me remind myself. Okay. <laughs> you know this issues. Okay. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> How does this period uh, change your relationship to work? I mean, you've got your mom who's, you know, been the one holding the whip uh, as a manner in a manner of speaking, just in Mm -hmm. terms of show business and doing (laughs) this. Um, How does that change now that you don't have this this person pushing you?
3: Mm, I I stopped acting. Um, I felt like that was important to be really definitive about, like, walking away because it had been such a part of my identity and something my mom had wanted for so long. But I really doubted it. I doubted the decision before I, I went back and forth on should I quit, should I not quit, should I quit, should I not quit. I've been working on a Netflix show. It got canceled, and I thought, well, this is a good this is a good timing. I told myself I'd do the show till the end of it, I'd see it through, and I didn't have anything lined up and thought, well, this is perfect. I'm going to I'm going to to quit now. What and age is this? I was I mean,
2: twenty-four. Twenty-four, okay. Twenty-four,
3: yeah. And and also I felt like I could either do um yeah, I could do soul soul sucking sort of acting work uh, just because of the show that I'd been on. The types of yeah, that's a tangent. But uh, yeah, no, but, the, yeah, <laughs> that is,
2: you can go where the job you you don't like the jobs you're getting you know? exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: You got me um, exactly. I felt I felt like my soul could not withstand much more of that. Um, yeah. So I felt like okay, this is the time for me to walk away, close that door, and really just focus on on recovery and healing it sounds so cheesy but like in the truest sense it was just that that time period for me and kind of threw myself into into getting better for for several years um and yeah I still I still haven't acted and it's been it's been six years at this point but I I really do enjoy writing and I now I'm I'm working on a collection of essays and a novel and I'm enjoying that oh and wow I, that's yeah, great that's great hope, to, hope something happens with them but we'll see
2: did you get a lot of pushback when you decided to stop acting? Did the None. Facilitator- three minute phone oh, call really?
3: three minute phone oh, wow. call? Wow! I'm like, hey guys, well, I'm going to get Did, like, did you that sure? sort of
2: sting a little? Did you want like, oh, nobody begged me? <laughs>
3: yeah, sure. I hung up. I think that's what started the self doubt. I was like, shoot, it was that easy. Should it have been that easy? Did I make the right decision? And then for I, I went back and forth on it a lot for for maybe a year afterward. Of of should I still do it? But I knew that that feeling of like, eh, that that hesitancy wasn't going to get anywhere good if I'm, if I'm, you know, if I am still acting, but from this place of like, I don't know, like that's just going to (laughs) be, you can sniff that a million miles away.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever consider college just, I mean, just to be a dad about it? No, Um,
3: I never considered college. I thought, um, I thought, well, I should say I did consider college, but I never went through with any of the work of the <laughs> it, it
2: was a thought that crossed your mind. Yeah, yeah it crossed my
3: mind at I, least three co- times. I
2: hear this thing called college. People my age are doing it. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, I I felt I really wanted to do what I, if I could have waved a magic wand, I want to do writing and directing. So my kind of like grand plan was to set aside the amount of money that I would have spent on college to make, short films and to kind of try to, to get some footing there and, 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 um, learn as much as I could. So I, I, I used that money to make short films instead of go to
2: college. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you, pr- you would probably would have gone to college and made short films. So what the fuck you save tuition you saved tuition and still ended up. Yeah,
3: exactly. My thought. And I also think, you know, I, uh, yeah, I was able to, as opposed to it being like would crafted around some sort of assignment or I'm sure there's a lot of creative. I hope there's a lot of creativity there, but I was able to just make what I wanted instead.
2: You learn so much more by doing than you do by learning, you know, than by yeah. sitting in a classroom. I went to film school and I learned more in like the first four months of being out of film school, working wow. as a freelance PA about like what it really, you know, like the what it really means. To be on a film set and and how it works and how the day works and where the money goes. And, you know, it, it you just you need to be in the professional. It's you know, it's it was the same thing when I did improv comedy. I took tons yeah. and tons of classes. You don't really know anything until you get on stage. And that's where you really start to get the miles on you that 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 matter. Did that you actually make- start as a PA? Yeah.
3: Oh my God. No yeah, yeah, kidding. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I started,
2: I started, uh, I went to film school in uh, Chicago, Columbia college, and, uh, I had an internship at a production company for about, so I worked for free for about six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I started out as a PA and it was all commercials. Um, and I was freelance. I worked as, I worked in a, I moved furniture for a while too. Um, hmm. but that was like, that was just a, a a really that was paid probably better than the film production <laughs> um I'm sure. but i and then i just started to do a little bit of everything because somebody calls you and says have you ever second a deed and you and i went yep you know and then of course i hadn't yeah. and when i get there i whisper can you show me how to fill out the contracts for the experts? i was gonna say that's a you hard
3: know? one to have not done i feel like second a just jumping into that would be really
2: tough it's a, no it's a the, this the entire film industry is built on bullshit it's built on like it's built on mostly european immigrants who came over here and said like oh what is, how does this thing work Oh, uh, oh what oh wow look you, it projects on a wall and you can see a train coming at you hey well, i'm interested in this and then they just you know that nobody taught anybody how to make movies they just dad this somebody came up with a camera and the film and then it was like Oh, let's I think an hour and a half is probably a good length of time. You know, they, it's just everybody just figures it out. So, yeah, it's just like it's extended uh, on that. And it's also really good. You know, I was put into situations like when I first started because I ended up doing mostly props. But like I got hired mm. by a company that would come in. They were from Minneapolis and they would come down to, and uh, in, in, you know, subcontract jobs. And I would I would work for them and they and they kind of knew, you know, how green I was but they would just give me a, uh, you know, like they'd say, we need a, uh, uh, this, this, and they, there were other people doing other things, but one of the things in the commercial was this dishwasher needs to open on its own. Like it needs to open on its own and then be able to close halfway and then open all the way and then close again. Yeah. And here's the dishwasher figure. And here's a, here's a, you know, like a workshop with lots of tools and, th- and stuff, figure it out. All right. You know, that means you take it apart and you run fish line and, you know, you make sure see what level of fish line you need and you pull the line from the back, you know. Good and, God. Yeah. You just figure it out. It's And it was really fun. It was really like. Oh, you was, liked it. You enjoyed Oh, I loved it. I loved it. I loved, oh, that's it. Awesome. I loved this, the problem solving. I liked the pressure of it even. I mean, that's like I like the pressure of improv in many ways. I just it made me nervous mm. to do it, but. I liked it and and being able to handle it um, felt good to me because I wasn't, you know, I, get, I mean, my thing coming from a lot of upheaval in a family and not feeling a lot of control mm-hmm. and and always feeling, you know, sweaty over confrontation and, you know, panicky when, when things got tough to have its tense situation that I can handle. It felt great. You know?
4: mm-hmm. And
2: uh, you know, and it's, and it's, and it was the beginning of like a lot of work that turned out really pretty good, you know? So
3: that's so cool. I, I, I didn't know that background.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it also too, I think it gave me something, which I, uh, it gave me a perspective that I'd see a, that a lot of actors don't have, which is yep. the idea that you're a member of the crew.
4: Yes. And yes. You're,
2: you're you you know you got a really cushy job. You get your own toilet, you know. Yep. Uh and nobody else gets their own toilet. I mean a few people on the set do, <laughs> but but you know, but don't look you you know, don't be an asshole about yes. how long everything takes and how much work it is because y- you know, I have an appreciation for like how long it takes to to light something. You know, like, yes. this, you know, like the we did tabletop commercials in Chicago where it'd be like a loaf of bread and it would take it. I never fully understood it, but it would take six hours to light that loaf of bread. And then you'd have a scene with 20 people in it and, you know, in a, in a set and that would take an hour to light. I, you know, yeah. I just I think the 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 margins for error are more when you get out. But these, you know, like they're so particular with these with these beauty shots.
3: Yeah, um, I I did a, a Domino's pizza commercial and I remember them spending even before the lighting uh, was happening they were the the food special the, fu- f- uh, the food groomer
2: food stylist
3: Food stylist, thank you. Yeah.
2: Um
3: would come and spritz with the water bottle. She yeah. the pepperoni cups and then she'd s- flatten things out and add the cheese and it was um it was fu- fun to watch. I enjoyed yeah. I enjoyed watching her. I think it Style was. Dom-
2: I think yeah, that was always those. But those jobs are kind of a pain in the ass because they take so long. But they were. Yeah. I, I think it was Domino's. They set up a full like Domino's kitchen in this soundstage because they were getting the 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 lift of the slice with the perfect strings of cheese. Yep.
3: yep. And there's
2: yeah, and there's yeah. like a fifteen second window, like where it's like you know, like you got to get it out of the oven and by. <laughs> Second 42, you've got to have lifted that cheese or it it won't work. Or yeah. it just, you know. Congeal and, and look. Yeah. Up. And so it was like delivering a baby. It was like, you know, like the pizza. We need to uh, be 45 more seconds on the pizza. Okay, roll. You know, here we go. Put it down. Turn it a little. Go. Ah, oh, shit. You know, like the, the, the cheese didn't stretch enough. You know? I do.
3: I love set anxiety. It's, it's, I think it's, it's really, um, it's fun and it's also, Easy to get swept up in, and it's also so funny, um, just because it is so often for you know for strings yeah. of cheese on a strings pizza. Strings of cheese, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like,
2: I know. <laughs> like, the, you, there's sometimes it does it doesn't pay to step back and think about like what you're doing because it's like no, because you'll just you'll never stop feeling ashamed that this is important to you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, now you you did you you're uh, are you redoing the because. I'm glad my mom died. Started as a live show, correct?
3: Um, yeah, I did. I did a live show version that got kind of stopped because of COVID. Then I did a second run of the live show, and then um, then the book is sort of. I see the book as very separate. They're the same title. They're co- They cover the same material, but um, the live show is like a musical and has a lot of interactive elements, and and uh, and the book. Basically, the book is not just a me writing out the live show. It's it, it started with the intention of it being um, a book, but I, I hope to do the live show again at some point. I think it'd be, um, I think it'd be it'd be fun to do. I I really enjoyed the audience connection. Um, we never we never did any of the shows that I worked on in front of a live audience, so I didn't really know what that was. They put they had just a laugh track, you know. So so oh, you really, just
2: ta- you just taped them. Oh, I see. yeah,
3: we just taped them. No no uh, no live audience, so it was really cool to get that, that connection. Um, I like, I I like that a lot.
2: Yeah. Would Uh, you ever
3: get nervous before tapings or did you feel like you were just so used to it that you wouldn't feel any shift in your nervous system?
2: Uh, on the Conan show, I didn't get nervous before Mm. because it was just, there was, there was just so many of them, you know? Um, and I've talked about this on here before too. Uh, which is just my way of people who've heard this before, just give me a break. She hasn't heard it. So, you know, quit, quit tapping your feet. Um, so, um but I, I, I would, I'll do, you know, I would do that show four nights a week in front of, you know, well, million ish, you know, if we were lucky, uh, yeah. people, um, but then I would go and someone would ask me to do an improv show uh in a black box theater uh you know in in Hollywood and I would be a nervous fucking wreck. Really? Yeah, in front of 30 or 40 people. Because but, what was why? Cuz it's improv and because I was mm. rusty. And because mm. I was rusty and it's like you know it it, it it's like a, a somebody you know who was a good basketball player who's now a sports writer at being asked to play basketball again, sure. you know, and just being like, Oh, I'm going to look so bad. I'm not, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know. You know? Um, and so that would sort of, I'd get that kind of pressure. And I mm. get pressure in sort of newish situations and in different rooms. I'll get a little bit nervous. Nothing like I used to, like in the beginning, what I used to get nervous or be made nervous by. Um,
3: Have you done improv recently?
2: Not for a while, okay. but I've talked about it on here, too, again, that, that like I don't really what the the improv that I did after I was on the Conan show was mostly like at UCB. They would they would have this long form improv where there were people that sure. would be they'd have monologists that would come on and just tell personal stories hmm. and then they would improvise kind of rift. Oh, on the, the I As- did As-Cat. one
3: of those. I oh. did one at UCB. I did I yeah, yeah. monologue. I didn't do the improv.
2: Part. Yeah, yeah. I'm awful uh, improv. Ask Cat. Um,
3: it was, I don't remember. I don't think it was ASCAP, but it was the same format of yeah. monologue, And then they did a, a Herald
2: or whatever. A or Herald. One. Yeah. Right. That's, that's the original. That's the, that's okay. the Chicago original long form improv, which mm. is, you know, but the, 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 the Herald didn't have to just be monologues and it could be, there could be games, you know, like group games in the middle between the groups of scene work. Um, but I would do those. And so I got you know I got very comfortable doing those kind of things mm-hmm. and and telling those stories on stage. Uh, but doing the actual scene work was it's a different skill. you know, like mm-hmm. it's not just being yourself and saying like, huh, So they're talking about a shoe store. Oh, yeah, yeah. that ha- thing happened to me in a shoe store. Um, you know, like thinking of a character and like making something that's, you know, you're not really trying for the joke, but you're trying to be funny. So you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I want to give something that's good. Um, And the last time I did that was a fundraiser for UCB and there were a bunch of people that I know for like Amy Poehler was part of it. And Mm. as we were going on stage and met Besser, one of the other UCB people, and I think Matt Walsh was in it um, as we're going on stage. I thought I was just doing like, in fact, it was, it was a long form that was based that where the, the. Things in between were songs. So, oh. So I was gonna sing a song I knew. And I was like, as we're going on, I was like, So am I going out with you now, or do I just come out when I'm doing my song? And somebody was like, No, no, you're doing the improv, you're doing the whole thing. And I was like, Oh, okay. And I had like 10 seconds to Was sweat that good about though?
3: It. Because you didn't have the Absolutely,
2: absolutely Oh my God. I yes. if I if yes. they had told me about it the day before, it would have made the day shitty, you yep. know? Oh, yeah. So, the dread in the stomach. Yeah. Yep. So I just I had to do it. There I was. And I mean, and I also, too, I'm used to at this point for many different reasons, being able to hold it together after go, go now. Yes. You know, yes. and um, and so I'm like, all right, I can do this. And I did it and I did fine and I it was good. And then when I was done, I was like, well, I, you know, I asked myself, so do you want to do more of that? And the answer is ah, no, nah, no, that was okay. You're good. I'm huh. set for another few years. You know, I mean, uh, it's you know, I don't, it's, I don't know. It just, I don't get enough charge out of it. I just don't. It's, it's nice, it's fun, but I, I, from the day one when I did improv, the if if the show got canceled, which like in Chicago <laughs> would happen all the time because of weather or whatever. I We still would go like I would go hang with all these funny people. Yeah. And we'd hang out and get drinks or whatever. And that was what I wanted. But you that didn't care that it was. Yeah. Canceled. And then not in front of an audience. I, you know, like that made it easy because it's like, oh, we don't have to do it for those people. We can just do it for ourselves. Just go somewhere and be funny and make each other laugh for ourselves.
3: So. Interesting, because I was going to ask if you'd at some point had the charge, but it sounds like it was. Yeah, just never really never there for you.
2: No, it would, no it, I definitely I really liked it when when I started doing it um but it also too was like it was a means to an end I wanted to be an actor I wanted to I wanted to and you know and then Mm. eventually get on television so this so I you know it was school for me it was school for me but it uh, but I never and there are people that believe in it as an art form and do it until they're you know very very old and I just sort of saw it more as like a thing to do. It was in Chicago. I was in. I was good at it. It was yeah. good training for what I, you know, for ending up. I went to film school. I wanted to get into film. Yeah. I didn't, I yeah. didn't go to improv school. I, you know, I mean, I kind of did, but you know, and so I got into film, and I'm working in film, and I'm working in television, and that's kind of like okay, you know, I don't, you know, it's like if you get a job as a writer, you don't need to take an English class,
3: right? You right. Know? Right. So
2: it's you know, I mean, but that's unless you like english class <laughs> you know it's yes. you know so it, yeah
3: do you feel do you feel that charge toward acting now or do is it like
2: yes oh I do, cool I, I do like acting and i like being good at acting and i like making tv shows and 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 and, and being good at making tv shows i also have directed yeah. a little bit which i know you have too oh um, and I've you like directed, it i love it i love it i direct i like direct I, i've directed commercials so it's yeah. not like i i'm directing a crew i'm not and it's not like Uh, you know a tale of a young lad's coming of age it's a fucking commercial but it's fun because you're making a movie and you're uh, and it's a little movie and you got this much time and you got this list of stuff you got to do yeah and 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 this amount of money and uh, it feels like a game show like beat the clock (laughs) you know like we got 12 hours to shoot all this stuff let's go you know oh there's a problem problem solved, you know, like making decisions and moving from one thing to the next. It's uh, that I like. It feels very grown up, you know. Yeah,
3: I I agree. I'm not the best at putting out fires generally with like any sort of life, you know, the day to day of life. But I feel like on set, I'm I'm quite good at putting out those fires and knowing kind of what the situation needs and how to move on from it and how to keep on time. And I, I really, um, I, I, like it a lot. I feel like it's a good way of channeling that hypervigilance that I got from a, an abusive, uh, an abu- abusive environment. It's
2: <laughs> right, like channeling
3: right. it for good. And, um, yeah,
2: I and can I take actually... it. I can take <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I want to direct the young lads coming of age. If you're not yeah. going to do it, I'll do it.
2: <laughs> you can do it. You can do okay. it. Well, speaking of which, uh, the second of these questions is kind of where are you headed now? And we kind of talked a lot about that, but I mean, where do you see yourself – what do you see yourself doing from now on?
3: Um, I'm, I'm working on a, a – a, yeah, I think I mentioned this earlier, but a novel in and a, and a collection of essays and, mm-hmm. and working on both at once because uh, – to avoid burnout, frankly, yeah. on, on one of them. I usually – I find that and I hit written, walls.
2: you've written essays for Wall Street Journal, right? Do you have a regular gig for them or is it just sort of a relationship?
3: It was uh, – no, it was it, it was uh, just a relationship kind of – and it was in my early 20s. And uh, I did Wall Street Journal and then I did Huffington Post more recently, but I um, – even kind of thinking on those, I, I remember just, I was, I knew that I wanted to be writing, but I was still, I don't feel that I was nearly as honest as I've been in the, in the memoir. Cause I was like, I wrote something on body image and I'm thinking now in retrospect, well, if I'd been really honest, I would have said, Hey, I'm writing this whole thing on body image. And then I, four minutes later, I go and throw up. Like that was what my mm. life was. That would yeah, have been yeah. honest. Um, but I do think it was an important kind of stepping stone to get to, to where I am now, but I uh, I've loved writing writing the the novel. That's been really fun. It's nice to not to to be exploring and playing uh, in a world that's not my own and that's not that's not so personal. It's 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 nice to not have to do therapy sessions after writing the chapters.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is good. Well, yeah. I, but I mean, what do you, I mean, is that kind of you just sort of setting down that road? You think?
3: Um, I th- I would prefer to to keep writing um, and and directing would be kind of definitely. Writing and directing are the ultimate goals. Uh, I, I I would prefer to go in that direction, but I've only recently actually thought maybe there's a world in which I act again. I didn't think that was possible. I had walked away from it so definitively so, like wash, dusting off my pants, washing my hands clean of that, like that's in my past. And I think... I think that was what I needed to do at the time I was 24. Um, and now that I'm wise and 29 slash 30 slash nobody knows, um, <laughs> I feel like I, I, I'm interested in, in finding a better relationship, uh, with acting, you know, it, I don't think mm-hmm. it has to carry the baggage from my past. I don't think it has to be this thing that carries that weight for me anymore. I think, um, I think there's a, a way for it to be fun again. Yes. Or if it, so.
2: Was it ever fun? Yeah.
3: I think it was less so fun it was it was always quite stressful for me it was it was it was more the only enjoyment i think i really had was just from from feeling feeling good at it and enjoying my friendships but yeah. i think there's a way where i could be it could not do that wreckage to the nervous system that it used to do i think there's a way where it could just feel like oh I, I I like this, and I want to be doing this, and I and I feel safe in this environment. I feel good. Um, I'm hopeful, at least. I, I I don't even know what it would look like, but I'm I'm open to the idea. Yeah, Do you, I feel like that's growth. Some a part of me now kind of feels like that being open to ideas that you were at one point kind of close to feels like growth, or is that just
2: no? It does. It's, right. That's that's one of the yeah. I often there's different things that I've come across in my life that I think are part of being a grown up, and that definitely is is. Being able to change your opinion on something, uh, you know, that you really you were like, no, fuck planting the that. flag. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that yeah. is done. Forget yeah. it. Um, and then coming back and going like, wait a minute, you know, I mean, giving yourself the permission to be wrong about something, yes. giving yourself the permission to uh not be scared by something that scared you before. Yes. Um that's all grown up stuff. It's all, you know, like it's gonna be okay and and all of this stuff is part of me and yeah. and and hiding stuff and this is from uh just from Mike exp- it doesn't work that well. Right. You know? It's
3: it's a nightmare. It's, it it's,
2: doesn't work that yes, well. Yes, yes. I mean there's some, you know, some compartmentalization You can do like, especially, especially like if, you know, like being in the public eye Mm -hmm. there, there's you and then there's you, you know, there's like, there's this person that's out there uh, that's this, you know, that's not really me. And then there's this other person that is me and that is compartmentalization. And that's by definition, by most people's, you know, like. Mental health dictionaries. That's not healthy, but it sure is. A, it's like a a, a, a useful bacteria mm. because it keeps you sane. Because the people that let those two things become the same thing, ah, it's almost always is ends in sadness,
3: disaster. It's so it's so funny to see this because I uh, ahead of this, I was listening to. Um, multiple many episodes uh, of of the podcast but i uh, there was one where you mentioned i forget who you're speaking with but you mentioned um kind of a similar point on on the concern with with somebody taking their personal life kind of public and i was like oh he's gonna have a heyday (laughs) talking to me about my memoir (laughs) i'm talking about all this personal
2: stuff yeah but a memoir is a different thing i think i was talking to somebody who was like making their like and I've had, you know, like turning like they and their spouse get a commercial together, yes. you know, like yes. that kind of thing or where, you know, like all of your sort of, you know, magazine articles are about your life together. And I always think like, mm, I don't know. You no, know.
3: I could not agree more. I, th- I feel like it's so important to have those um, boundaries, which is something I, I had no awareness of um, growing up. I was just a complete enmeshed blob with my with my yeah, mom. Yeah. But I, I the uh, the. I find them to be a continuously more and more important piece of life is like, okay, where, where do I end? And does this thing begin and what's for, what's for the public and what's for me and what are my yeah. emotional, mental, physical, environmental boundaries? Um I think it's an ongoing process. It was, it was it's, it's definitely a, a stumbly one, but I feel yeah.
2: it takes. Yeah. Um,
3: yeah. Right. It's like something yeah. I'm sure it's just always going to be that way. Yeah, it's never yeah. going to be like, Oh, and now i have totally figured it all out. It's just yeah. not
2: yeah um, it's like touching what? oven or touching stoves and finding out oh that's hot you know like
0: <laughs> right. like you know like right. you wouldn't
2: know unless you touched it so right well what do you want people to take away from your story i mean you've written a memoir so uh, you know you you are just you're laying it out there you're laying your life out there and i and i just you know like if you could sum it up what do you I, hope people take away from
3: it? i i hope people appreciate the humor i i think you know i definitely cover a lot of Intense or heavy subject matter, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, eating disorders, Mormon child stardom, or child acting, teen stardom, abusive parents. But I, but I, I hope people appreciate the humor because I think that's uh, that's that's it's certainly been an important piece of my life, and I, I think, uh, I think just taking yourself too seriously isn't doesn't. It, it's, it's, it's not fun and it doesn't lead anywhere good. I think it's, 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 it it's not a, a positive, doesn't lead, it's not a positive path for me. At least I was yeah. a very serious child and I'm glad to have more of a sense of humor than I had then.
2: And that's great. Well, Jeanette, thank you so much uh, for taking all this time and talking to me and for being so open and, and, and sharing so much. I really appreciate it.
3: Thank you for having me. I know I mentioned this off the record, but I was so excited um, when I got the email about this, and I've just been such a fan of yours for so long. So, I'm oh, Like, really grateful to to be able to talk with you.
2: Thank you. Me too. That's like I said then too. I said you just wait. I'll I'll butter you up too. So, uh, all right. Well, thanks, and good luck with the book and, uh, and 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 uh, you know the novel and the essays and everybody go buy everything uh, that you see with McCurdy on it. Uh, And uh, we'll be back next week uh, with more of the Three Questions. Bye
1: bye.
0: The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Your Wolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Kalitza Hayek.
3: The associate producer is Jen Samples, supervising producer, Aaron Bleyert, and executive producers, Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review the three questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts.
4: Can't
1: you tell my loves are growing? This has been
0: a Team Coco production.